can't get enough of the podcast? Lucky for you, our video IQ platform on adorebeauty.com.au houses thousands of articles on skincare, makeup, hair care, and more. Plus, you can find a heap of video tutorials, ingredient spotlights, and brand breakdowns on our YouTube channel. Just click on Beauty IQ in the menu bar of the website or app or search Adore Beauty on YouTube for more beauty content. Welcome everybody to Beauty IQ, the podcast. I'm your host, Joanna Fleming. And I am your co-host, Hannah First. So Hannah and I were just having a chat off air and I was like, should we be recording? We were just talking about her starting an Airtasker account because she was saying how much she loves putting together furniture. So we've decided that's going to be her new side hustle. So if anyone needs some furniture put together. I find it, okay, there's a couple of reasons I like to do furniture because it's Mm -hmm. quite meditative. Mm-hmm. It requires some problem solving, so it's good for your brain. You get your step count up, so it's good exercise, but you're not paying to go and exercise mm. like and be dreading it. Like it's not like something that you dread to go and do because it's it's at your own pace. So I mean, I don't know, is this a thing? Do people start air tasker accounts for hobbies? Like is for that fitness? A, for fitness and hobbies. <laughs> you know what was actually a really good workout was that dance that we did for that our two million downloads. Really, we were so sweaty and everyone's like, Oh my god, you're concentrating so hard. No, I couldn't breathe. That was the problem, is that I was so puffed from doing that dance four hundred times. By the time we actually got to like doing it properly, I was fatigued. (laughs) So this person commented on our 2 million video, who told them this was cute or they can dance? And you responded, (laughs) literally nobody and yet here we are. (laughs) I just, I couldn't help myself. (laughs) And then they responded, at Joanna Fleming, stop please. (laughs) (laughs) And then thank you to our amazing listeners. Someone said, I knew someone would come in. I knew that we'd have people swoop in. So so I didn't need to even do anything further. So at Joanna Fleming, please never stop. I love this dance. It made my heart happy. Maybe people are just jealous of your sweet moves. I think they are. Yeah. And then and then someone else commented at the person, please stop being a bully. I just mm. love that. Thanks for having our backs, guys. We love you. Well, it's only, it's just been International Women's Day and that's our, <laughs> that's our feel-good story. Women supporting mm. women, you know. Exactly. Love that for us. <laughs> so what's on today's episode, Joe? So on today's episode, you and I are finally going to do something that's been on our bucket list for mm. ages and that is having ear suction. So we're going to have our earwax sucked out. Mm-hmm. Um, we're very, very excited about that. And then we're also speaking to aesthetic physician, Dr. Scott Ellis from the doctor's studio about aging on the neck and chest, which is a very interesting chat and our products we didn't know we needed. So we're basically putting a camera into my ear. Yes. Okay. All right. And I get to see the whole thing. It's like a movie, (laughs) like a home movie. So first thing is going to actually check your ears just mm-hmm. to see what's inside. So we're going to do Hannah first. Yep. Um, I'm going to check the right ear and see what's happening inside that right ear of yours, Hannah. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm so nervous. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, Hannah. <laughs> is that a blockage? Yes. Oh, um, my God. Hannah. Straight away. So Unfortunately, see that little white speck as well? There's yeah. a little bit of fungal there, Hannah. <gasps> oh. um, and also, you've actually used cotton bud. I can tell. Because you've literally, I'll tell you how I can actually tell straight away. When I look down the ears, yep. I can just see past your drum. 
But those little bit, you've actually literally curling and turning those earbuds and you've actually pushed them quite far inside. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. I will get it microsuction out today. How else are you meant to get the wax out of your ears? Well, you don't. You don't. The ears self-clean. You okay. don't need to clean your ears. The trick is every three months put a bit of olive oil inside your ears before you go to bed. Um, do it for two to three consecutive nights. That's what? it. Instead of using cotton buds. Instead of cotton buds, that's going to help sort of soften the wax. It's going to help regulate moistures inside the ears and let the ears self-clean. So when you talk and when you actually eat as well, the jaw movement actually helps shift that wax or dead skin out naturally. And look at this side. Beautiful. Do you know what? I do think there's something actually with that right one that's like I think I did feel. Blockage? Yeah. So that one's okay. This one's perfect. What I'm looking for is a nice eardrum, which is nice and pearly grey. A bit of wax is normal. The colour of the wax is how I can tell it's actually been in there for so long. Good wax, healthy wax, honey colour, dark brown wax, been there for a couple of weeks, sometimes even months. But the right ear has definitely been there for a few months. Okay. What causes an earwax build-up like that? Yeah, lots of factors. There is, you know, obviously genetic. There's a minority of people who actually are prone to actually wax build up, whereas people who are actually, you know, in the construction site, tradies, that kind of mm-hmm. environment, um, actually musicians because they wear customised earplugs. Oh. So Wait, do you think it has something to do with the fact I wear AirPods all the time? Yeah. Constantly yep. there. They would be in my ears hours a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely, because what you're doing, Pushing you want – Correct. You want it to basically let your eardrum breathe, right? Okay. But unfortunately, you're literally just not letting that sort of ventilations and stuff. Yeah, like okay. it, the ear needs breathing. Interesting. I would love to know what the weirdest thing you've ever found in someone's ear is. Oh. Mostly kids, beads, Legos, not just in their ears, but up their nose. <laughs> um wasp he said that there was actually like a thumping or a a drumming type of sound inside his ears and the insects obviously went in and stuff but it would die because of the smell of the wax because antifungal and antibacterial came in and the wasp was dead it was yeah so that's so you mentioned the ear wax has antifungal and antibacterial so the drum we say that's actually helped to ventilate um it's there to air and also the antifungals and the antibacterials it's got a distinct kind of not that taste of ear wax uh but it's like kind of like a soury smell for a purpose because you know when insects bugs and things like that does go in it actually does it, it kills it so it doesn't get infected, you know. Mm-hmm. But the reason people get infections and things like that is because obviously if you do have lots of wax in there, it's a perfect hub for moisture, mm-hmm. bacteria. So Great. We are going to start, Hannah. You ready? Yep. Oh, no. And uh, first I'm going to put a little funnel. So just a bit of a loud squeak there, sorry. Ooh. Another one. Ooh. And one last one at the top. All right, Hannah, I'm going to first put the funnel back. Here we go. A bit of noise, all right. Oh. You know when you're at the dentist and they put that, like, air in your mouth? Oh, yes. That's kind of what it's like, but in your ear. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no. Don't go so close. No, I don't want you to. You ready? Oh, my gosh. Is it big? Yeah, it's big. It just doesn't want to come out. 
Am I going to like hear differently after this? I hope so. Um, it's because it's quite close and it's like, so here it is. Oh my God. And that has been in there for wow. quite some time. Hannah, describe it. It looks like a raisin. It does look like <laughs> a raisin. Oh my God, it does. It like is, that com- is that common? Very common. That's almost like um, pe- people listening probably have stuff like that in their ears. <laughs> Yeah, most likely, um, which they probably don't know because what happened is that wax colour that's in Hannah's ears actually been in there for quite some time, so it's not a day, a couple of weeks, you know, a couple of months. Um, Your brain just adjusts to basically what's abnormal became normal. So now hopefully you've got a bit of air flowing in. Is that the right ear? The good thing is it's now clear. Correct. Oh my so, god, this is so this... this is actually really cool. It is, isn't it? Wow. This is like my favorite thing we've ever done. Oh my god. This is not my favorite thing that I've ever done. <laughs> I'm a sicko. You are a sicko. I'm just get this stuff greases me out. <laughs> I can understand why AirPods just keep pushing yeah. that in there so that it you I was wondering why my music wasn't very loud. I was going to go to Apple and say there's something wrong with these AirPods. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Joe just said I had a sultana in my ear. <laughs> yeah, look, best between AirPods and earphones is probably use the headphones. Mm. That's more better because you do have air coming out, whereas it's like um, we're, we're, we're speaking to someone like, yeah, we're going to keep doing it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One no, it's one of those situations. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, non negotiable. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, well, I'm done. Your turn, Joe. Me, you have like the cleanest ears. Um, I'm gonna, we'll I'm, see. I, I reckon you will. I clean. So Lisa's going to not be happy with me, but I use <laughs> earbuds. Yeah. And when I do use earbuds, I get a lot of wax out of my ears. Okay. I've actually seen on TikTok a few people buying those ear cameras off Amazon. To look in their oh, ears. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yes. What are your thoughts on people doing like amateur ear cleaning at home? Not a good idea because if, if you do it yourself, you're not really at point at the right angle. Yeah. So yeah. You know. And you could damage your eardrum, right? If Absolutely. you're doing it. Yeah. If you do it by yourself, you, you will rupture your eardrum, perforate them. Yeah. I'm interested to see whether my ears are as perfect as Hannah thinks they are. Let's have a look. Oh my god, I'm scared. <laughs> so we're doing Joe. I'm going to just start with the right ear. Mm-hmm. <gasps> oh, is that, is that that's wax? a bit of wax up the top that's a bit of wax that's good not too that's bad that's my eardrum yeah that's your eardrum one comment your yeah. ears are very dry see that sort oh, of streak yeah. yeah they're scaly very scaly right why is that <gasps> because you've been over cleaning oh, oh naughty, naughty. <laughs> so that's exactly you see that with a lot of people, mm-hmm. there's very dry, scaly, flaky skin yep. inside the ear canal because they've just keep using earbuds. Are my ears hairy? My ears look hairier than yours. No, the hairs are there for a reason. So okay. it's good. You've got all these hair. Wow, it's really hairy. Did you get our ears waxed? <laughs> <laughs> we had our nose waxed. <laughs> That's the reason why as well, Joe. if you are actually constantly keep using cotton bud mm-hmm. it's a habit yeah you're constantly wanting to actually just keep twirling those around each time and that's the reason why when i was saying to you that after showering you need that bit of moisture mm-hmm. so every time you actually twirl around kind of go oh there's a lot of wax that's actually good wax okay that you're stripping away is could that explain why i get really sore ears when it's cold yes yes because there's no protection um right. so the wax actually helps to protect from cold weather 
Yeah. Okay, that explains a lot because I get really sore ears in yeah, winter. Like yeah, like aching. If I go for a walk and it's yeah. freezing cold, my ears will be killing me. I yeah. feel like I need those little earmuffs. Yep. So I always say to people, use olive oil like say four to five times a year so you don't get what you're describing um having that sort of aching pains mm-hmm. okay cool so we don't need to remove anything from my ears today. No, sorry. <laughs> yeah. great well thank you so much lisa for doing our micro section on hannah and having what? a look inside so our lucky ears so lucky hair. you had a sultana in your ear oh <laughs> no you're welcome it's my pleasure um so yeah hopefully you learn a few things or two again olive oil mm-hmm. everyone has them olive oil guys that's the last message we're going to leave you with if you want to come and have your ears suctioned or you feel like something's wrong come to ear lab and see lisa So today's guest joining us is aesthetic physician, Dr. Scott Ellis from the Doctor's Studio, and you do various other things, Dr. Scott, but we thought we'd bring you on here to chat about aging of the neck and chest because this has been a highly requested topic. So we're just going to dive right into it. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for inviting me. Our pleasure. Um, Hannah and I actually had consultations with you probably 18 months ago now, maybe. So that was really fun and we learned a lot from you then. So we wanted today to discuss how the neck and chest ages compared to the face. So what kind of structural changes are happening under the skin on the neck and chest compared to what happens on the face? Well, just like the face, our neck ages in multiple different levels. And the really important part of that is what's happening under the skin. So the first thing to think about is what we call the fibroceptal network. So basically, that's a bunch of uh, ligaments that hold the skin down to the muscle and the structures below. And that's what holds our skin up against gravity. As we age, these connections stretch, they lose their elasticity a little bit, which means that uh, the skin starts to sag. And that, especially when it happens around our jawline or underneath kind of the upper part of the neck, is what gives rise to a turkey neck. Now, I hate that term, but it is the term that everybody uses. (laughs) That tends to be kind of one of the, the main things that happens under the skin. In that fibroceptal network, we have fat. And the neck's really interesting and unique in the body as we age because in some areas, like the upper part, just under the chin, we tend to accumulate fat and increase. Whereas in other areas, like down further towards our chest, we tend to lose fat, which is what gives our skin a kind of a crepey look. Below the fat, we have the muscles. And the main muscle in the neck is one that's called the platysma. And that's kind of, we can think of it like a big sheet that runs across the entire front of the neck. That can be quite complex, but the most common thing we see with the platysma is as we age, it does become a little bit hyperactive. And that's where we get the kind of the big vertical bands um, as it tends to contract harder. And combined with the, the loss of fat between the skin, we also start to see more of the platysma as we age. Even though we do spend a lot of time focusing on what happens within the skin itself, usually it's really important to think about these structures underneath because if we polish the skin really nicely unless we address the structures underneath as well it can still look kind of loose and crepey which loses the overall effect of what we want and so with the surface level concerns that we can actually see what are the most common concerns patients come to you wanting to treat in that area yeah look there's there's lots um but by far the most common in australia is really photo damage Um, most of us have got, you know, a level of photo damage. In fact, there's some studies that have shown that on a histologic or or microscopic level, when we look at the skin under a microscope in Australia, we're starting to see photo damage as early as age 15. So we're talking about permanent changes in the skin. Now, thankfully, that's probably 
going to be improving because the, the newer generations, you know, younger than my time, are a bit more sun smart. I remember being told to go out and get a healthy tan when I was younger, mm-hmm. which probably wasn't the greatest thing. But really what we see most of the time is a combination of pigmentation, uh, loss of elasticity, uh, visible blood vessels, which we call telangiectasias, and areas of skin thinning, which the medical term is atrophy. We have a habit of giving things, you know, overcomplicated names in medicine. But in the neck specifically, often that pattern is worse kind of down the sides of the neck and across the chest. So the area under the chin we often see is in better condition. And that's a term or a condition that we call poikiloderma. The simple reason that the area under the chin looks great and the areas down the side of the neck look worse is because of the shadow that our chin casts. So, you know, our our face is somewhat protective for our neck in some ways. Um, But really there's two main reasons that that becomes more of an issue in the neck as opposed to the skin on the face. The first is that the skin in the neck has fewer stem cells naturally and that means it doesn't recover as well from injuries, it doesn't recover as well from accumulated damage from the sun, uh, from the environment. But then the second thing and the more practical thing is that most of us pay less attention to the skin on our neck than we do our face in both protection and treatment. So we tend to wait until this area is worse in order to try and address it and treat it than we do our face. And you did some training overseas. Did you notice a marked difference between the patients that you would see overseas or see other physicians treating and the patients you're seeing in Australia and the difference between the sun damage or the level of sun damage? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's a massive factor and I've seen both ends of the spectrum. So I have spent some time in Dubai where kind of the the sun exposure is really significant. Um, The heat is really significant. And you combine that with a darker Fitzpatrick skin type. So people with more melanin in their skin naturally. In some ways that's protective because uh, melanin is our body's own natural protection from the sun. In other ways, it can be a problem, though, because we do see more pigmentary disorders in people with darker skins. And so certainly in Dubai, we saw a lot more melasma. We saw a little bit less from the kind of atrophy and skin thinning side. And that's probably because of the the skin type that's mostly over there. Whilst in Korea, however, it was completely the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, Everyone in Korea avoids the sun like the plague. And really, we see much less photo damage and accumulation of damage, especially through the neck and the chest. Yeah, I really hope to see us move in that direction in the next five to 10 years. I think women our age are still sunbaking. I still see people doing it. And I'm like, are you really not getting it? So I'm hoping Absolutely. that I know that all of our audience are really sun smart and they all wear sunscreen every day. And if they don't, they're going to feel bad when they listen to this. So they need to start <laughs> doing it. So can we get on to professional treatments, which are the most suited to treating the neck and chest? Yeah, absolutely. And and like approaching any treatment, the real question is, what are we trying to address? Um, because when we treat any part of the body, we have to think about what it is for that individual person that we need to address. So the way that I often split it up is thinking about treatments that are aimed at volume replacement and skin quality improvement. So where we have lost a little bit of that fat under the skin, where we're trying to replace that. The ideal treatments for that tend to be things like nano fat grafting. So where we take fat from one part of the body and we can use the stem cells and the growth factors that are inherent in that fat to rejuvenate the neck and the chest. Other treatments include things like biostimulators. So that's an injectable treatment. They sometimes get lumped in with fillers, but they're, they're different. 
And what we're essentially doing is injecting a medication which acts as a chemical signal to stimulate collagen in their skin and below the skin. And so really those two options are great because what we're doing is we're getting the body to do the heavy lifting. We're getting the body to regenerate itself, which means we tend to end up with longer lasting and more natural looking results. Traditional fillers I sometimes get asked about through the neck and the chest. And to be honest, I'm not the biggest fan. And the main reason for that is with the kinds of volumes that we need to use, they tend to provide relatively underwhelming results. And then depending on the technique, they can be prone to lumps and bumps, especially through the neck. If we're looking at the muscle and, and we've got some vertical banding that we're trying to treat, a really great non-invasive technique is using muscle relaxant injections. Um, and that's a really common treatment. If we're thinking about trying to tighten that fibroceptal network under the skin that we were talking about earlier, we have a couple of different options and really we're looking around energy-based devices, so things that put energy into and under the skin. They include laser and radiofrequency. On that is a massive spectrum. So we have everything from non-invasive options, which generally have very little downtime. Um, they're not scary, which is always nice. But the trade-off on the flip side for that is we usually require multiple sessions to get the result. There are more invasive options that require a little bit more downtime, treatments like a face-type procedure. But the advantage of those is they tend to be a one-and-done. So for most people with mild to moderate laxity, uh, we only need a single treatment and then there's about three or four days um, recovery where there's some significant swelling before people can get back to work. And then, of course, once we get to the skin, um, we're all familiar with, you know, addressing pigmentation, visible blood vessels. In the clinics, we tend to do those with either laser or radiofrequency devices, basically anything that can help shut down the vessels and resurface the skin. I'm actually getting um, skin needling at the moment mm. on my neck and my chest. I did notice that it didn't go down here. So I had like two red marks on either side of my neck. But I wanted to know how skin needling, can that improve the appearance of pigmentation and help with like aging in the neck and the chest? Yeah, that's a really good question. When we're talking about pigment specifically, there's, interestingly, this is a question that comes up a lot, but there's actually very little scientific evidence that mm -hmm. microneedling alone is effective for the treatment of pigmentation. Now, that's not to say it doesn't work, and I'm definitely not saying that, um, because I'm sure there would be some improvements with the kind of epidermal turnover, the um, direct pigment disruption that occurs. But a lot of the time, the real value in microneedling is when we use it for either improving the delivery of ingredients and medications into the skin to help fight pigment, or using it in conjunction with radiofrequency devices. So basically where the, the needles go into the skin and then there's energy that's passed in between the microneedles too. The first way we're using microneedling to enhance the absorption of, of our medications or our products is really useful because for a period following any microneedling treatment, our skin absorbs everything so much more. The penetration of our medications increases. The depth that they penetrate to is really useful. And so we can use it in conjunction with our um, topicals to do two things. Number one, inhibit new pigment formation, but then of course lift the pigmentation that's already there. And, and they're two very separate processes because pigmentation that's there already is in the epidermis and you've got to encourage the, the body to increase your epidermal cell turnover to help clear it. Whereas new pigment formation is all about 
suppressing new formation within the melanocytes because pigment formation generally occurs in response following treatments. So for PIH or after we get a pimple, something along those lines, three to four weeks after the initial event. And so it's something where it's important to separate those two. The other side with, with radiofrequency, basically that's essentially resurfacing. So it really helps us lift the pigment and that can be done as mildly or as aggressively as we want to, um, which forces the body to regenerate new cells in the epidermis, also helps with the rejuvenation. So it can be really useful from that point of view. Now that's, you know, as I mentioned, not to say that microneedling doesn't work for pigmentation. It's just that if our primary goal is to treat pigmentation, there tends to be more efficient options, things that take fewer sessions and give us better results. And speaking of topical, something we get asked a lot is whether you can use your face products on your neck and chest. So which ingredients or products do you recommend using on the neck and chest? Because I generally say like, just bring it all down, just bring it further. Yeah, look, for the most people, absolutely. You know, whilst the skin is a little bit different, we can think about it like being muscle. So our muscles take on all different shapes and sizes, but to work properly and be healthy, they need to be fed the same things. Our skin can be different in different parts of the body, but essentially we want to be thinking about the same types of ingredients um, depending on our, our skin itself. If I had to pick one, and you probably know where this is going based on our discussion earlier, but the absolute best ingredient for the skin in this area here is sunscreen. Just a good quality sunscreen can do so much more over the long term than any expensive product and active. Mm -hmm. But presuming that we're all kind of wearing a good quality sunscreen on a daily basis, we really want to be thinking about the same classes of medications. So antioxidants, for example, are really important for helping to mediate damage before it happens. A good biologically active vitamin C, one of my favorite formulations is the SkinCeutical CE Ferulic because it does have the bioactive form, number one. And number two, it's quite acidic, which means that L-ascorbic acid, which is the bioactive form of vitamin C, can get into the skin. Mm-hmm. Other ingredients which are great and have a, a strong antioxidant potential are things like kojic acid. So having a look for for products containing that can be really useful. For treating concerns, so if we're looking at helping pigmentation, actually the antioxidants generally have a big overlap in that as well. And so both vitamin C and kojic can be really great. Um, If someone has really significant pigmentation or if there is something internally driving pigmentation, as happens with certain medical conditions like polycystic ovarian syndrome can can drive pigmentation, melasma, everybody knows about melasma and how stressful and, and frustrating that can be to manage. In that case, we might think about looking at prescription medications instead, pigment suppressors such as things like hydroquinone. If we're thinking about kind of I hate the term anti-aging. I prefer to use the term skin health. And so that's mm-hmm. that's the term that Love I like that. using better. Yeah. <laughs> um, but some form of retinoid or, or vitamin A. So either one of the active forms that's available in over-the-counter products, um, retinols and retinaldehydes tend to be the active forms, which do make biological changes and histological changes in the skin. Or once again, for some people, kind of taking a step up and speaking to a doctor about a prescription um, for a, a prescription retinoid, such as tretinoin. And then really the last thing is thinking about barrier support, which is actually really important on the neck and chest um, because our neck and chest 
isn't as great on the barrier side of things. So uh, ingredients like niacinamide or azelaic acid, which is a, a pharmacy ingredient, but those types of things which support the skin barrier are really important. So we all know that, well, I know, you can definitely overdo the retinols on your face. Is the neck and the chest the same? Like, is there the same risk of overdoing it as there is with the face? Yeah, good, good question. Good question. In general, yes. But like lots of things with skin and the human body, the real answer is it depends. <laughs> and and what I mean by that is there are some people who just seem to have bulletproof skin on the, on the neck and the chest. And in general, if we have significant photo damage, our skin is going to be less robust. It's going to have more trouble holding onto that hydration. But there are some people who kind of break the rule. I've had some patients that I've managed to have been using double strength prescription uh, tretinoin, so prescription retinoids on their neck and chest. And I actually met somebody last month who blew my mind a little bit because they started on that dose. <laughs> Not under me, I can promise you that. Um, <laughs> but they got hold of a tube of extremely strong uh, vitamin A and went Hannah, to town. Was and this had... you? Yeah, was that me? <laughs> <laughs> I got prescription retinol from Thailand. Yeah, I got it from over there a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's it. And, you know, in, in cases where some people have really robust skin, great. And that person had zero problems at all, which was wonderful. I know that if I tried that on my skin, and for many of us mere mortals, um, our, our bodies would have rejected that in a big way. But usually the neck and the chest are less uh, resilient to highly active uh, ingredients like our vitamin A's. And that's because of the reason that we discussed earlier mainly. Um, we have fewer stem cells in our neck and chest skin, which means that, you know, the kind of irritation that can come along with some of those very active ingredients generally takes longer to heal than it does on the face. So the, the kind of takeaway, especially when we're treating the, the neck and the chest, and, and look, I talk about this for the face as well, but really we should be thinking about skin health as a long-term goal. So I know, and I'm guilty, as guilty as anyone else of this, about getting super excited about a new product or a new formulation and going to town on my face. But in general, kind of, if we start low, go slow, and slowly build our way up, we tend to decrease that risk of irritation and, and it's kinder to our skin in the long term. If someone in their 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s wanted to do something about their neck and chest, Mm. Where would you recommend starting? So if someone in their 20s was wanting to prevent future damage, what would you recommend versus someone in their 50s who's maybe already got signs of sun damage or who's maybe seeing signs of aging? I think the best thing is, is to talk to someone that you trust on two levels. Number one, uh, you trust their level of expertise and understanding of the skin. And the second thing, which is very prudent in kind of our industry in the skincare industry in general is that you trust that they're going to recommend products for you that are going to work and be right for you rather than create a very expensive skincare routine that's really not going to give you a lot of results. So mm -hmm. regardless of age, if, if one doesn't have a lot of damage on the neck, um, then really what we want to be thinking about is preventative. So sunscreen across all of those ages, but then for those with less damage, thinking around the antioxidants, thinking around the protective factors um, that we can use. 
if we're down the track and we do have some damage, we have accumulated some damage from, like myself, being told to go out and spend some time in the sun so I'd look less sick. <laughs> um, I remember, I think I was first told that when I was in my early teens, which makes me cringe now, but anyway. <laughs> then antioxidants are just as important to minimize ongoing damage, but then really it's about then exploring the kind of more rejuvenation type procedures, which do tend to be you know, associated with a little bit more downtime um, and the skin actives, which do tend to be a little bit more aggressive, but under the right guidance, there's definitely a way that you can roll them together to get some really nice, good results. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Scott Alice from The Doctor's Studio. If you want to go and see Scott, you can see him in Melbourne. Um, Hannah, I feel like Scott's voice falls into Michael Edwards' mm. territory. Yeah. We'll send you that episode, Scott, so you can listen to it. He's got a very soothing voice. Soothing we're voice. we're recording this at 8 a.m. And it's just like I feel like I'm just – Waking up really softly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad it's that and not me sending you back to sleep, uh, yes. getting too excited <laughs> about ingredients. <laughs> I'm loving this chat, but thank you so much for joining us today. No, that's great. Thank you so much for having me along. So my product I didn't know I needed today is the Inica Radiant Glow, which can be used as a variety of things. But Megan told me, she was like, no, you're really going to love this. It's exactly the kind of product that you love. So you can use it as a base, like as a primer. Mm -hmm. You can mix it with your foundation or you can use it as a highlighter. So it's what they call a skin veil. It's glowy. It looks like a highlighter when you get it out of the dropper, Mm -hmm. but it kind of blends into the skin. It's not shimmery, if you know what I mean. Like it doesn't leave glitter flecks on your skin or anything like that. It just makes you look really, really glowy. So obviously I use it over my entire face because that's the kind of person I am. Mm. Uh, But you can use it in just certain areas. If you're oilier or generally you get shinier throughout the day, you can just use it in areas that you want to highlight or you can use it as an all-over base if you want to just be super glowy, which is what I did today. So it's got a blend of natural ingredients. Inica is a natural brand. Um, So it's got aloe vera, argan oil and magnolia bark extract in it and it's light reflecting. So you can wear it on its own. What I did today was I put my moisturizer on then I put that on and then I put the Aspect Minerals powder over the top. And because I put that underneath, I was still really glowy. And then I put the powder over the top. So it just took off that edge. Look at you, Miss Natural, Miss O Natural. I know. Oh, my God. You are like am I? Earth, Earth Mama Joanna. <laughs> I don't know what's happened to me. But, yeah, that was a really good combo. The Inica Radiant Glow with the Aspect Minerals Powder. Yeah. Very, very natural. Looks like you're wearing no makeup but just evens everything out. So absolutely love that combo together. That is my product in I Needed. What is yours? We have a new Korean skincare brand. It's called Laneige. Mm. Did you want a little fun fact about Laneige? Yes. The word Laneige translates to snow in English and it was inspired by the way that light reflects off the snow. Oh, okay. So that was what they wanted to replicate with their Mm. products. So... I have tried a couple of their products and the cult favorite one, which I was desperate to try, was the lip sleeping mask. Mm -hmm. I have really dry lips, probably because I don't drink enough water. Like I, You and I both. (laughs) I sometimes, I don't know if you do this, but sometimes I go the whole day and -hmm. it will be like 8 p.m. (laughs) and I'll be like, God, I've got such a bad headache. And I'll be like, Mom, I've got (laughs) such a bad headache. And she... Do you know what I'm like, Matthew? Can you put this in from um, 
you know Will Ferrell? Have <laughs> you still remember that? Where's that from? Wedding crashes. Yeah. You know what? I will have some meatloaf. Let's have some meatloaf. You want some? <laughs> I knew you'd go. Hey, mom! The meatloaf! We want it now! The meatloaf! Grief is nature's most powerful aphrodisiac. <laughs> Look it up. I didn't know that. Ma, the meatloaf! <laughs> so just giving you a bit of an idea what I'm like. And mum's like, have you drunk any water today? And I'm like, no, I never do. <laughs> anyway, so that causes headaches, but it also causes really mm. dry lips. I've got very dry lips right now. So this is amazing. So I'm actually using the berry, but there's berry, grapefruit, mint, choco, vanilla. It's got something called Moisture Wrap, trademarked technology. So this technology uses beta-glucan to form a slow-releasing moisture layer over the skin, locking in Mm -hmm. active ingredients and mineral water. It also has a berry mix complex, trademarked also. This complex is rich in vitamin C and antioxidants. Okay. Yeah. It's actually got some some shit in there. It's not just, you know, your regular old lip balm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's looking for shit in their lip balm, aren't they? (laughs) It plumps the appearance. It smooths. um, It really reduces like the flakiness and the dryness. Mm -hmm. And it it works overnight. So you put it on at night. You can use it during the day as well if you wanted to. You definitely could, but I have it next to my bed and I put it on just before sleep. Nice. So that's mine. Now, before we head off, I wanted to know how – now, you had already told me this story, but I really wanted you to repeat it because you – I was, I was going to say, you and I had lunch today, Hannah. <laughs> yes. And I asked you, do you have any dating stories because we're recording this <laughs> afternoon? She was like, oh, my God, I went on the worst date of my whole life. And I was like, oh, my God, worse than that date I made you go on. And that was probably like 18 months ago. A lot Um, worse. And you said yes, very much so. So we went through that whole discussion, which we can't really share because Ruby said that we shouldn't. Um, (laughs) So that's a private moment. Um, And then you asked me if I had any dating stories. And I said, actually, Mm. I have proof that one of our best-selling perfumes is a bit of an aphrodisiac. Works. Yeah. Well, remember we had that article and Micah wrote it and it was the fragrance that everyone like stops me on the street about Mm. or something, whatever the title was. And so I was on this date and sprayed this perfume as I was coming out of the bathroom, like just, you know, a bit of a freshen up. As I sit down, he's like, oh, my God, what is is that perfume <laughs> that has to be the sexiest perfume I've ever smelled in my life. Can confirm. And I was like, oh, my God, it's Juliet has a gun, not a perfume. So that's my new date perfume <laughs> from now on. It was Giorgio Armani my way because it's kind of like sweet, but I've now changed my mind. It's going to be this but, one. <laughs> but you and him then discussed. Yes, we then discussed fragrance. fragrance. What a great topic of conversation yeah, on a date. It was. Yeah. yeah. Sounds really sexy. It was a bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I'm honest, yeah, it yeah. was. If that doesn't convince you that you all need to go and get Juliet has a gun, I bet you yeah, it sells out. I don't know It'll what will. Probably sell out after this. <laughs> yeah, probably. The thing about it is it's so unique. Yes. It's not like the floral fragrance that you smell yeah. or the sexy. He said that. He was like, it, that is the most, it's so unique. It's also your, did you tell him that it actually mixes with your pheromones? Yeah. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I went through the whole spiel. Okay. <laughs> Pretty much did a sales pitch. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I might buy it for him. It mixes with your scent, isn't it? And it creates its own scent. Yes. What's the uh, molecule again? 
Cetalox. Cetalox, yeah. Yeah, so that molecule mixes with your own chemistry on of your skin and makes it smell a little bit different on everyone. So, Well, I'm really I'm happy for you, Jo. Do you think <laughs> all this like fun dating stuff makes you want to stay single? Yes. I've been meaning to ask you that, yeah. And also I love sleeping alone and I hate yes. men snoring and I just – kind of find them annoying in general. Are you turning into me? Like I feel that as, as time goes on, we become more and more like each other. Like Yeah, a little bit. I feel like I've picked up a few of your quirks. Like what? Oh, I'm trying to think. <laughs> I'd love to know. I think I've become incredibly anally retentive and clean at home. <laughs> <laughs> like like I've become like you and your desk, like that sort yeah. of I've actually taken that on. I don't know what's happened to me. I also think like I definitely don't give as much of a f about certain things. Like Okay. Yeah. You know, like I think that I like the trolling, like the, the rude people used to make me upset and now I'm just like, mm. nah, don't care. Your problem. This is that's you, not that's not me. Sounds like a them problem. So that's it, guys. We will see you next week. See you next week. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. It helps other people to discover us. And also, we really want to know what you thought about this podcast. So if you can leave us a review, that would be much appreciated. Bye.